0: If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Turn to Job. And we're going to look at just uh, three uh, verses in Job, uh, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And uh, as you find your way there, we're going to read it. You know, we are in our second series of uh, Easter sermon series. And um, I really, really uh, wanted to uh, really work our way through Easter for several weeks. Uh, One, because I think a lot of times we take Easter for granted. And for us as Christians, sometimes the things that mean the most to us end up the things that we're least grateful for. And sometimes the people in our life that we're most, uh, you know, impact us the most, we are least grateful for. And so to, as Christians, to express our uh, understanding of Easter, to know the message of Easter, that's what we talked about last week, and then talk about this week, the meaning of Easter. What does Easter really mean to our faith or to our life or to my certain circumstances today uh, or, or even in my life now? And then next week, we're going to look at the man of Easter. We're going to talk a little bit about Downton Thomas and how God, Jesus really changed his heart and his life. And so I hope as we journey through this, that most of all, Easter will impact our hearts. And uh, last week, we talked about making a commitment over the next couple weeks, to really ask God and the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts up, to really give us a passion and desire for the message and the meaning of Easter in our lives, and to ask God to fill us full of joy, fill us full of peace, and even no matter what you're going through or what you've been through, uh, in the last several years or uh, of your life, that we could worship God and we can ask God to stir our souls. And I hope you've been asking God that. I've been asking God that in my own life, and I hope you have as well as we go through the next several weeks. And uh, the question I have for you this morning is, has your life ever been turned upside down? I mean, it has been turned upside down and you felt the sting of hopelessness. And not only just hopelessness, but even helplessness. Like there is nothing you can look forward to and there's nothing where you feel like you can help yourself to get out of the situation or suffering that you're facing. Well, if you can say yes to that, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about today. If you say no to that, hang on to it because it's coming because in your life, Uh, it's going to get you to a point where you're not going to be able to understand what or where uh, or where to go or what to do. And I hope as we look to this story of the Easter story, the meaning of it, that it will really give us an understanding of what can we do when that happens in our life. You know, as a whole, Easter last year was radically different than this year. You remember Easter last year? Uh, we were still not gathering in groups. It was radically different for a lot of people in our country with fear and suffering and some going through pain as well. And the last several years just in general have been weird and challenging and hard um, to talk to children and to uh, deal with life and to uh, navigate things that's in our, in our everyday life even now. And uh, even as hard as it has been, though, we have found some things in our life that we can be grateful for, right? Right. Uh, there was an old um, country uh, DJ here in Jacksonville that used to say his name was Robbie Rose. He'd say, "No matter how bad it is, it ain't that bad, right?" And uh, and look, for us, it's true. Like uh, we're here this morning, listening or coming to church because we're still alive. Like to celebrate and to thank God, He gave you the breath to get up this morning to be able to come to church and to be with your family and to be with those around us, so we can thank God just for another day. Like God, thank you for today. We can also thank God for his provision. He has provided a way for us to meet here. He's provided a way for us to have shelter. He's provided a way for us to have a home and family and food. And even from a year ago, thank God he's provided toilet paper, right? You guys remember that just a year ago. uh, Everybody was worried about having toilet paper. Uh, And thank God for medical workers, first responders, law enforcement, and the military. We sit here in total freedom this morning. We don't have bombs going off in our neighborhoods, and I have, have a friend that I follow on Facebook as well, it's a pastor in Ukraine, and he talks about having services and bombs hitting literally during the services, and children crying and running from the things. We're, we're not sitting underneath that. Thank God for the freedom that God has given us, and for the, those who have provided that for us, we have a lot to praise God for. And yet, even through all that, I know we've been through tough times and I know some may really have uh, go through tough times, but tough times really make us understand what things really matter and what things really don't matter in our life. They really make us understand who really matters and who really don't matter, all right? All those 700 friends you have on Facebook, guess what? They really don't matter. They're nearly not your friends. I hate to let you in on a secret. What they're doing is just being nosy to see how good you have it. When you do something good, they're jealous of you. And when you do bad, they're like, see, that's, that's good for them, right? That's what it means. They don't, they're not really your friends. They don't really matter. And for us, uh, really gathering together to worship and to worship with your family. You know, families have become so segmented in our world, in our culture. You know, we separate ourselves so many times as parents and for husbands and wives, and the world gets you traveling in different directions. I understand that. I have a family, and my wife, you know, has to take our kids to go somewhere for a soccer game or for this or for that, and you're constantly running one way to another, and you don't have a lot of time together as a family, but... Make sure you invest in your family. Make sure you take time to share with one another. Sit down and talk to one another because as you spend that time with them, children, that's the way they spell love in their life. T-I-M-E. If you're spending time with them, they know you care and love them enough to set aside your, cur- your schedule to, li- to hear what they have to say and spend time with them. And so as we think about those things, I hope uh, you begin to consider those things. And guess what? That wasn't even part of my sermon. So that was worth the dollar you put in the offering box this morning, all right? Already. So I've already accomplished the dollar, okay? So now uh, going on thinking about just Easter and what is the meaning of Easter in our life as we come to worship God this morning, it represents so much more than what it sees on the surface. And I I said uh, recently that two words come to mind, love and hope when it comes to Easter. And hope is what I want to talk about this morning. Hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. You know, hope is what keeps us going. It is the fuel that keeps our hearts running with joy and hearts running with peace and comfort in God. That's what hope does. Hope is the confident expectation that God is in control even if I don't see it. Even if my circumstances don't say it, even if my marriage don't reflect that, even if my children don't reflect my values or what I'm trying to pour into their life, this hope says that as long as God is in the equation, there is an expectation that God can do something that no one else can do. Like the potential is there for God to do something supernatural. And when it comes to Easter, that's what we see. A resurrection is not physical. A resurrection is supernatural. And so when we think about Easter and we think about the message of God, it's not what we see in the natural, it's what we have of this confident expectation of a supernatural God who is able to do something in our life or in our circumstances or uh, in our future that has all the power in the world, matter of fact, beyond this world. Like just not regular power, but resurrection power, power that is beyond anything you could ever do for your marriage, power beyond anything you could ever do for your children, power beyond anything you could ever do for your eternity or your future. And this message, I want to really focus on that because we find ourselves many times in those situations. That without God and the hope that we have in Him, we of all people would be uh, we of all people would have no reason to be optimistic or no reason to be joyful or no reason to be peaceful, but because of God, because of the story of Easter, because of who Christ is, we in the midst of the most difficult things in our life, can still have peace. We can still have joy, we can still have hope because of who He is. And one of those people that, shares, that uh, shares the story with us is Job. And as we look to Job, I know you immediately think, what in the world is the pastor talking about? Job is all about suffering. Job is all about pain. Job is all about what, uh, what, how, much, uh, how much this man suffered and went through. And Job is about suffering and loss. Well... You're in it for surprise because Job is not just about suffering and loss. Job is also about suffering and victory, suffering and hope, suffering and expectation of God to know that he is great and he can do something in our life, even though our life stinks. And let me tell you, life is going to stink sometimes. And that's the hope we have. The Bible, uh, as he begins uh, talking about Job, just to set the background, of it, he said he was a just and a very wealthy man. Job had a lot of family members. He had a family that was connected to family that was connected to family. Job had a lot of possessions. Job was a wealthy man. He had lots of land. By the way, wasn't it great to go to the Roberts farm to see all that land there? And I thought, man, I would like to have something like this. And I thought, well, no, because then I'd have to mow and weed eat it all. So I won't have all those things. But anyhow, to see land, he had land, he had servants, he had a lot of earthly possessions. He had everything you could say this world had to offer to Job. He had it all. And yet the Bible says that he was of need of nothing. But as as the story goes, the devil went to uh, God. And the devil said, you see your servant Job? Your servant Job only serves you because of what you've blessed him with. Only because he's wealthy, only because he has possessions, only because he has all these things. He says, if you take those things away from him, he will not serve you. He will not worship you and he will not trust in you. Now, don't you just hate the devil? I do. I hate the devil. He's such a loser, right? I mean, he is accuser of the brethren. He is one who uh, is jealous and he is one who has been accusing us before God and before other people. And by the way, if you meet someone and they're jealous and they're accusing you of things, they're full of the devil, right? And if you are accusing people and you are jealous of people, tell Satan to get thee behind you, right? <laughs> That's just, you don't, you don't want to be like him. And he went to God and he says, here he is. This is the only way he does it. This is the only way he serves you, God. And if you take all these things away, he will not serve you. So as the book unfolds, Job goes through a series of losses. He goes through a series of sufferings. He goes through the series of all these things that Job was facing and at the conclusion of all that Job has had, he was taken, everything was taken away so much so that Job would come to the point where he says, I wish I wasn't even born. Like, I lost my family. I have lost my possessions. I have lost everything of this world. And all of the layers of Job and his comfort and his blessings have been peeled back. And then in the midst of that, the book transitions into three friends. Three friends that come to talk to Job. And they try to do their best, but these are the friends that kind of come along that want to try to tell you why you are suffering, right? Now that's always a blessing, right? When you're suffering on the worst day of your life, someone comes to you and tries to tell you why you are suffering. You're suffering because you're a bad person. You are suffering because you did something wrong. This happened to you because of this and because of that. And they begin to try to explain suffering, let me give you some advice. If you go to someone who is suffering, don't try to tell them why. Don't try to explain it to them. Just be there for them. Like you, They're not looking for answers. They are looking for comfort. They are looking for you to be there just to show up and be there. I could promise you more than anything you could ever say, uh, your presence to be there for them will mean more than that. And that's what they will remember. And so his friends meant well, but yet they all represented the wisdom of the world. And it's clueless. They had no clue of what was going on. And they were sharing this, what they thought was, was wisdom. Uh, Pastor Lindsey from First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, he preached this message. He said they had what he called shared ignorance, right? They were sharing ignorance with them. And they were, these friends represented the wisdom of the world. And you know, the answers to the deepest questions of life is not found in this world. Like this world thinks that it's got everything figured out, but we know the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world are useless and powerless for the questions of, God, uh, of life, right? And, and for us, as we look even to our world today, I mean, our whole world is turned upside down by one little virus, right? I mean, one virus... Uh, confounded and and almost shut down the whole world and the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world thinks it's so powerful but in a moment it can be shut down and they say and the world says this and the world says that and you have a lot of people says well I know the answer because I can google it right like we have googleologists you ever meet any of those right and, and when I uh, do tile work uh, for a living, and so when I go in to do tile work, someone has been on Pinterest or Google and tries to tell me, who's been doing it for over almost 30 years, how to do their tile job. And I think, well, if you know it so well, then why am I here putting your tile in, Right? Because you Google it, or because you have the wisdom, or you think you have the wisdom of the world, it doesn't think make you wise. And the things of the world, like, here's what you need. Here's how you solve this problem. Here's what you need for your marriage. Here's what you need for your children. Here's what you need for your life. The wisdom of the world is useless, and his friend's wisdom was useless as well. And yet, we say, well, where did Job find hope? Well, at the end of the chapter, I mean, at the end of the book, Job goes before the Lord, and as Job goes before the Lord, God puts him on the stand. He says, Job, you accused me. You wanted to know uh, about me. I want to know about you, Job. Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Job, where were you when I put out the waters of the oceans? Job, where were you when I set the world in motion? Job, where were you in creation? And he went through a series of these uh, questions, and Job realized that God was God and Job was not. And Job come to the conclusion that Job would be Job and he would let God be God. And that's the way the book closes. But in the midst of that, before he gets to that, um, his faith was messy. His faith was growing even in the midst of the times that he did not have understanding or the full revelation of what we see in chapter 40. And so I don't want to go to chapter 40. I want to go in the midst of that. And I want to go in the midst of that because there are some even here today that may be right in the midst of a suffering or trial or maybe in the midst of something with your family or your children or in your marriage that you really don't understand, but you want this hope and you want to trust in God, but yet you're just not quite there yet. And a lot of times that's the way we find ourselves in faith, right? We are wrestling with God. We are wrestling with the purposes of the Lord. And you don't know what in the world is going on. Now, this message is not for those that think they have it all figured out. This message is not for people who think they have everything in their marriage figured out, everything in their life figured out. Everything is great and everything is sunshine and rainbows, right? This message is for those who's had faith that gets messy, faith that has been times of doubt and questioning God and a message where we can see exactly where Job is wrestling with these questions of life to where he can make a proclamation like he does in chapter 19 verses 25 through 27. So I want to read these three verses and then I want to go back and look at how he solves or how he uh, explains the three basic issues of life. In Job chapter 19 verses 25 and 27 he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Wow. You say, well, how does Job, in the midst of reasoning this together and rationalize this, because he's in the midst of reconciling what his friends say, He was in the midst of reconciling the suffering and pain that he has suffered. He's in the midst of understanding what God's purpose is in his life. And yet we see this breakthrough. We see this proclamation of faith that Job says. And Job uh, really solves the three issues of life. One, the first one is his sin. Now you say, well, Job was a just man. That's right. That's what the Bible says. But it doesn't say he was a perfect man. And I could tell you in the sufferings and pains of life, the first thing you're going to feel is guilt and shame for things that you've done wrong. It always happens that way. And and suffering and pain in our life immediately heaps on guilt and shame in our life. And we begin to consider our sins of our life. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one that can stand before the Lord and say, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. I've never done anything that could uh, uh, possibly offend anyone else or God. And so Job and through these accusations and through, uh, through wrestling with these issues of pain and suffering, was beginning to deal with the guilt and shame of his sin. Now, I know for you and for me, I've heard it from people, and Job heard it from his friends, immediately upon suffering or something bad in someone's life, someone will say, I wonder what they did wrong, right? I wonder how they failed. I wonder what they've done. And even in your own life, when life falls apart, or you go through a divorce, or you go through some sort of pain with your children that are not uh, doing what you expected them to do, or you're going through a job loss, or you're going through financial strain, the first thing you begin to feel is, what have I done wrong? And you feel guilt, and you feel shame, and you feel like you want to, uh, this guilt and shame comes over your life. But Job obviously felt that, and he knew that, and he knew he had messed it, but he was wrestling with it. He was like, God, what is it? What is this burden in my heart? And he burst forth and he says, I know that my redeemer. Wow, what a name. I mean, when you look to Job, this is pre-Jesus. This is way before he would even have the revelation of God or the full revelation of the Bible. He says there is a redeemer. Now, in the Old Testament, redeemer was what they considered a kinsman redeemer. Uh, we heard this story, or we read some of the story about Ruth and Boaz. You remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? And so for her to be redeemed, she had to have a kinsman redeemer of like family come along beside her and to proclaim her righteousness so she could be restored back into relationship with her family or within uh, within, within her rightful rights of who she was. And so when when Job comes now, he says... I may not feel it now because I know I've done wrong and I have guilt and shame, but I know I trust in God as my redeemer. Wow. And you know, when you come to the Easter story, it's all about redemption, is it not? I mean, when you come to Jesus Christ, you realize the love that God had for you and also the payment and redemption that Christ has in him. And when we come to, to deal with our sins in our life and the guilt and shame comes to our life, we can't be good enough. We can't join the church. We can't try to be baptized enough. We can't try to do as many good deeds as we can. There's always going to be guilt and shame in our life until we understand what Christ has truly done for us. And not only is He the, not only is he the Lord, but he is, a, he is a Redeemer. I know my Redeemer. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as your Redeemer? Maybe in your life you haven't felt the pain of guilt and shame, but I promise you there's going to come a time when you do. And you're going to realize that you have failed or maybe you're going to realize that things in your life are not always right. But as a Christian, we don't stand on our righteousness. We stand on redemption. We stand on Jesus Christ. We stand on a God who is going to redeem us. And Job comes and says, no matter the sinner that I am and the failures I've had in my life, I can have hope because of my Redeemer. Because of what Christ has done for me. And you know, for me in my life, this always gives me hope. Because when I stand up here to preach, I don't preach as a perfect man. I don't preach as a man who's, uh, who, who does everything right, who has ever done everything right. I preach and teach and, and offer uh, the salvation, the same salvation that I received. The same Redeemer that I know is the Redeemer that you can know in your life. And for your life, maybe you've been, been, been uh, ate up by sin and guilt and shame. Listen, that's from the devil. That's from the enemy. And for you, your, your hope and your expectation of who you are before God doesn't, doesn't, is not based upon who you are, how good you are. It's based upon the, redeem, or the Redeemer. And if Jesus stands, then we shall stand too. And you know, on Wednesday nights, we're studying through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul straight up tells him. he says, listen, your faith is determined by who Jesus is and what he has done. And you know what Paul's conclusion was? He says, oh death, where is your sting and grave? I mean, where is your victory? And he says, but thanks be unto God, the victory we have in Jesus Christ. That's the victory we have that He is who He says He is, and when we come to Jesus Christ, He washes our sins away and the blood of Jesus Christ redeems us and we stand before God not as guilty, but we stand as redeemed children of God. And this morning, maybe you walked in here and you say, you know what? I'm a failure. You know what? I'm a loser. You know what? My life is falling apart. My marriage fell apart because of this and because of this or because of my children and this. And we, you blame yourself and you guilt yourself and you shame yourself. The story of Easter is that Christ took that guilt and that shame. And like Job, you can stand this morning and say, I have hope in my past, not because of who I am or how perfect I am, because I know the Redeemer, that God is a Redeemer. And because he has redeemed me, I can stand before God guiltless and shameless and no more guilt in my life because of who Jesus Christ is. Let me tell you, some of you have been wearing that guilt and shame. Some of you feel like things, bad things have happened to you because you're a bad person or because you've done something wrong. Let me tell you, take that to the Lord. Take that to God and put it in His hands and trust in a Redeemer that can change your life. And Job says, it's my Redeemer. He brought me redemption, but also for my present suffering. That's the second issue in life. What do you do or how do you make it through sufferings and trials in your life? He says, I know my Redeemer. What? He lived. It's not that the Redeemer lived and it's not that the Redeemer is going to live. It's present tense. He says, I know even in the midst of my worst day, my Redeemer, he lives. And for us as Christians, the promise is not that you'll ever have trials or tribulations. It'll be, it would be an outright lie and it would not be the truth if I'd stand up here and say, become a Christian, you'll never have pain and sorrow in your life. Become a Christian. You'll never have suffering or pain. Become a Christian. Never have problems in your marriage. Become a Christian and your children will do everything you've ever asked them to do. That didn't work out very well for me. But anyways, if maybe for someone else or or be a Christian, you won't ever have to suffer with your finances. You won't ever have to suffer with pain or sorrow or you won't ever. No, that's not the promise. The promise is that whatever suffering or circumstances in your life, that Christ is alive and God is with you. It's not the absence of problems or trials or persecutions. It is the presence of God in your life now that we have a redeemer that not only takes care of our past, but we have a redeemer that's with us in our present day future That because of him, we can live through all sorts of suffering and trials and pain in our life. And it's because of him who gets up and walks with us every day and takes us by our hands and walks us through every suffering and trial in our life. Dr. Brunson, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, when he came, he was talking about a time of severe suffering in his life. And he was talking about his wife and he said his wife had uh, cancer and his wife was going in to have surgery. And as she was going in to have surgery, he said that she was there. And in the midst of that, one of his children had uh, had this Um, condition to where he stopped growing and something was wrong in his life. And they were so concerned over him and what was happening with his child. And he said, on top of that, he was so concerned with his own uh, wife as well. And so he said here he was a pastor of a church at the time. We had several thousand members and he had all these people around his life. And he said, as he was going through this pain and suffering, he says, I'm always preaching. I'm always teaching. I'm always going to the hospital. I'm always there for people and I'm praying for him. And I'm walking through uh, these uh, sufferings, sufferings and trials and times with him. And he said, as his wife was being wheeled in to have her surgery uh, for cancer and with his son heavily on his heart and not knowing the future of his condition as well, he said he went to sit down in a waiting room. And he said, when he went into the waiting room, he said, you would not believe it. There was not one single person in the waiting room. He said, not one. He said, there wasn't nobody in there. And he sat down in that chair and he says, God, he says, here I am sitting in the midst of this waiting room in one of the darkest, hardest times of my life. And he said, I've been there for people. I have prayed for people. I have been there for them through every single time. He says, now, here I am. There's not one single person here to walk through this with me. And he said, just as God sure spoke to his heart and said, then, if no one's here, then who are you talking to? And he said, in that moment, he realized in the darkest of his days, God was with him. Even in the midst of the hardest pain of your life, Jesus will be there with you. And Job says that he knows that his Redeemer lives. And I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what you're going to go through, and I don't know what your future may hold or what right now in your circumstances in your life. Maybe it's a marriage where you say, I can't take it anymore. There's no way I can make it another day. Well, I can promise you that God is right there with you to walk you through that. And I could promise you with your children, I could promise you with even in your own heart and life, whatever circumstances or trials you're in right now, you may not think no one's there for you. you, may think everyone's abandoned you, but I could promise just like Job, in the midst of the worst imaginable suffering, the presence of God was with him. And I could promise if you come to the message of Easter and you miss that, then you miss the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have. That God is with us, even in the midst of the hardest times. So God has taken care of our past and our guilt and our shame. Job has dealt with his present day suffering, that God is with him. And if God is with him, he can walk through anything. And then he goes to the future. What are we going to do with our future? Who holds the future? And Job says, not only does uh, my Redeemer lives, he says, he shall stand at last on the earth. That means Jesus has the final say. That he's the one that if we come to God, that he not only secures our past and he's with us in the presence, but he secures our future that he has and he will stand at last day. And he says, even after my skin is destroyed, he says, even after my whole body is destroyed and I'm put into the grave, this I know, 100 percent, I know that in my flesh I shall see God and whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. He's saying there is no one who holds my future but God himself. And I don't know, maybe you're full of anxiety, maybe you're full of worry or fear for your future. You look to this world and let me tell you, if you watch the news, you will be full of anxiety and fear, right? I mean, you see what's happening across the country, uh, across our country. You see what's happening across the world. You see how one rogue uh, dictator or or leader can change the face of the landscape of the world political system. You can see all the, the turmoil and trials you can have. And that's not even the beginning of God's sufferings or the beginning of the second coming of Christ. Right. That's not even the beginning of the trials and tribulations yet. And you look to the sheer panic and terror that people have when they look forward to the future. What is my family going to be like? Who's going to take care of my kids? What is my future going to hold? And yet we can get so full of fear and anxiety that it literally uh, shuts down our life to where we can't function. What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my finances? What's going to happen to my marriage? But yet... Job comes and says, regardless of what happens in your future, or what you face in your future, Job says, don't worry, I'm not worried. I have this hope, this expectation that no matter what life brings or the world comes to, guess who's going to stand in the end of it all? It's going to be God himself. And if God is on my side, then that's all I need. God is with me. He, is, he has been for me. He is with me and he's going to be with me in the future. I love in Romans uh, chapter 8, when Paul comes to the end of Romans here in in chapter 8, and he begins to explain things. And on my phone as well, even I set a reminder at 8.28 in the morning and 8.28 in the evening to remind myself to quote Romans 8.28. And the verse Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. You know why I do that? Because at the beginning of my day, I, I commit my life to God that no matter what comes my way that day, that I know that it's going to work together for good into God's purpose in my life. And at 8.28 in the evening, when I get ready to go to bed, you say, wow, pastor, that's early. Yeah, I'm old. All right. I wear out really, really quick. And it's probably going to be a little earlier than that. But 8.28, I look back over my day and whatever come to my day, you know what I say? Lord, you have been with me and everything that happened to me to this day is in your hands and I can trust in you and I can have that faith and confidence and know that when I get up tomorrow, guess what? Anything that comes in my life is going to come through your hands and anything that has come through your hands is okay with me because I trust in you to work all those things together for good. See the promise there? It's not that everything was good. There have been days when I went to lay down, head down at night to when I had sorrow and pain in my heart for my children. When I had sorrow and pain in my heart for my life. When I had sorrow and pain in my life for loved ones or a loss of a family member. Sorrow and pain for people in my life. It's not that all things are good. You know, I think a lot of times Christians come and they misquote this verse. You know, your, children die, your child dying is not good. It's not the promise say, that's good, or you're having cancer, that's good. No, the promise is not all things are good, it's that God can work them all together for good. That the confidence we have is not that all these things, Job losing all these things was not good. Job going through the boils and the sufferings of pain and the heartache he went through, that's not good. But what was good at the end of the story, when it's all said and done, and most people say there's more said than done, right? When it's all said and done, when, when the whole thing is all over, when your life is before God or when it comes to the conclusion, even facing death itself and the future of eternity, Job says, no matter where I am, as my skin has been destroyed, I will stand because God stands. My Redeemer is there. He's been there and he's already conquered it. And just like, uh, just like God, uh, Paul finishes out Romans chapter uh, 28. He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love and purpose of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise we have. And if you're with God, then your future is secure. And because of who God was and his redeemer, that Job had come to the conclusion of who God is and who Job was, he can trust in a future that was secure because of what God has done in his life. And so this morning, as we come to the message of Easter, that's the message that we should, that's what we should have hope in. Maybe in your life right now, you feel guilt and you feel shame. Let me encourage you to come to know the Redeemer. Listen, that guilt and that shame will will rid your life of joy and peace and the purpose of God. It will always bring shame. It will always bring doubt. It will always keep you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. And let me tell you, once you've come to Jesus Christ, you've been washed in the blood. God doesn't rub your sins in. He washes them out. Like he forgives you. He has redeemed you, meaning that he stands on our behalf. And for me as a Christian and for you as a Christian, for one who would come to Christ, it says that you'll stand before God blameless, will stand before God as the righteous son of God or child of God before his eyes because of what he's done for us. He's our great redeemer. And the greatest thing you can do this Easter would come to know Jesus as your redeemer. To say, all my sins and all my guilt and all my shames, I've given it to Jesus Christ and He stands. Or maybe you're walking through something that's been the most difficult thing of your life. Can I just tell you that even though your friends may fail you, and even though your family may walk out on you, even though the world may not be able to give you peace or comfort or hope, I know that God can give it to you. And just like Job, If you could just feel and understand that God is with you, even in the midst of your suffering, your pain, that anything in your life right now that you have in your life, God is walking with you. He can give you purpose in that. Or maybe you're just full of anxiety and you're full of fear and you're full of worry. What does my future hold? What happens when I die? What happens when, with my children? What's going to happen to my grandchildren? What's going to happen to my company? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with our country? And your life has been rid and it's been full of, 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 of worry and anxiety. Can I, can I just encourage you? To stand like Job and look to the cross of Jesus Christ and understand that through the resurrection, because he had victory, we will have victory as well. It doesn't matter what life may bring, the future is secure because God is already there. And like Job, he says, I see the end and guess who stands? It is Jesus Christ standing at the end of it all. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on his side, right? I have read Revelation. I know what happens. I've seen who it comes to victor, and it's Jesus Christ. And when he stands, we will stand too. And we want to be with him. And no matter what happens in our future or what happens in now, that if we stand with God and his life and, his, and what he's done for us, our life will stand. Our guilt will be taken care of. Our present life can be walked through, and our future is secure in Jesus Christ. So let's pray together this morning.